0: The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. How's it going? It's going. All right. So let's do some business as always. So I'm kind of getting into the role of doing business. always. <laughs> Remember, boys and girls, you can get onto Etsy, look up TB Enterprises Store. Gives you a full array of all of our T-shirts that we have to offer with more and more coming every day. Uh, well, as quick as we can get the damn things up. And uh, also, we have some other kind of weird things. Like, you know, we get got Twisted Blue. The band album release shirts that are uh, just got released. We have uh, T-shirts for that depict the mighty Squatch herself.
1: Yeah, because I'm important.
0: Well, you're a Sasquatch, at least. Important. Okay. <laughs> you just roll with that. You know what? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right. With that out of the way, let's get into call number three from the Q&A session from April 29th of 2023 with Keith Hunter Jesperson, a.k.a. the Happy Face Killer. All right. Welcome Hi. back, Keith.
2: You know, here I am uh, talking about our one-night stands. You
0: know? uh-huh. I am loving love with that. So you got to tell us a story about that. Let's recap real fast. Keith here had a one-night stand and drove the uh, girl back to get her car, and the car was gone. Take it away, Keith.
2: Well, yeah, we drove back. When, and I ended up driving her back to her house. And her husband's looking out the front window at whos who it is driving her back to her house. And I just, she gets out. She doesn't, She she's she really, no kissing or anything like that. She's just getting out. She's getting a ride back. I can only imagine their conversation. Right. so I didn't stick around for it, right? Yeah, I,
3: <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. Have either.
0: I'd be like, adios, bitchachos. I'm out of yeah. here. You you deal with your the, shit, this man. This is
1: your circus, your monkeys, not
2: mine. Yep, not my circus, <laughs> not my monkeys.
0: I'm I'm out. I'm gonna go do deal with my own fucking monkeys. Well, she's monkeys. out
2: on the town. She's on. She's out there, and, and she's at a bar that her. her husband normally goes to, and and yeah, well. I, I fed her a few drinks, and, and uh, we hit the dance floor, and everything seemed to really be good. And it just, the night was long, and then eventually she just came home with me. And I've had to where, uh, I was at, at, at uh, the Burns Brothers Truck Stop there in, in Troutdale, and I was on the dance floor out there with a gal there, and we were dancing like that. And, and I wasn't drinking that night. I just don't, you know, there's, you know, I just don't, sometimes don't drink at all. And I let the women drink all they want. I don't care. But this this gal that has been drinking, and she wanted me to go home with her to, to a little town called Stevenson over there on Highway 14 over by Hood River. Yep, I know exactly and, where uh, it is. Yeah. Well, she wanted me to go with her back home, and she was a, a she was a, a a waitress there at the Burns Brother at the B barbie restaurant, and she got off work and went in there, and we danced a little bit, and whatever. But. We were coming out, and, and she had a bunch of people who she was going to give rides home to. And she gets in her car, and Keith, uh, are you coming? I said, No, I'm not getting that car. She said, Why not? I said, You've been drinking. I said, I don't. I don't. I've been with people that are drunk driving by the wheel. It's not fun when you're not drunk, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and downright fucking dangerous.
2: It's just like, No, I'm not getting in that car. I mean,. And she, she she came she came back. you come on, let's go. And I said no. If you let me drive, and she didn't want me to drive her car. But if, she, if you let me drive, I'll drive. You know, because I haven't been drinking, and I won't drive. I would not. That was one of my vices. I just would not get behind the wheel if I was if I had even tipped one or two drinks. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't do it. Matter of fact, if I if I drank in my truck, if I had a couple drinks in my truck, I would pull the key out of the ignition have it in my pocket so that in case some cop knocks on my door to ask me why I'm parked there, and I said, well, I've had a few drinks. I'm not going anywhere, and if he looked in there and he saw my key in ignition, he could write me up, but if I don't have my key in ignition, he can't.
0: Right. So, we have another yeah. question that just now came in, uh, and actually, it's uh, it's from our, our good friend Brian Engel. Um oh,
1: Brian. Hi, Brian.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I love it because I... Uh, Brian's one of the few people that, that that's a listener that actually has my personal cell phone number. Because yeah. he, he's just amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's just a, a, a great guy. So, he, let me quote him exactly. Actually, it might be a messed up question, but what were his aspirations before the killings? What did he really want to do with his life?
2: Well, what did I really want to do with my life? Well, this was back in, in 1990 when I, first, when I first killed for the first time, January. Now, I was, I had, I was living there with my girlfriend, Roberta, at 18, 184 Northeast Everett Street, there in Portland. And I was drawing unemployment. I wanted to run heavy equipment and stay running heavy equipment in the Portland area because I had a really good job. But at the very same time, I also had three children that lived up there in Spokane, and I wanted to be near my kids. Um, but I couldn't deal with it uh, with my ex's husband and, and all that type thing going on. What I really really wanted to do, what I really wanted to do was go back to Canada and work in, at, at a Fording Coal Company as a welder and go back to my welding department. And, and I made some really good money doing that. And I was up around the area where I like to go fishing and stuff like that. But uh, that would been. If I really want, if I really had put everything aside and gone up there and done that, of course I wouldn't be here. Uh, but yeah, I would have got what I wanted. But I wouldn't have got everything I wanted. I would still have, to have come back to the state to see my kids. And, and uh, looking back at it, you know, I should have done that. I should have just uh, packed up the car and drove up there and uh, left the area and uh, started over up there, because I knew what was waiting for me up there. Uh, well. Down here. Down here in America, um, so the winter time is a harsh, you know. I don't care where you are; um, some jobs just end in the fall. They don't pick up until early spring, so you're you're stuck there without. You drawing an unemployment, and you idle hands. You know, you do uh, you, you get into trouble. I mean, yeah. you start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Right,
0: like the old saying, "Idle hands are the devil's playground."
2: Yeah, I was just going to say yeah, that so, exact same thing. So, my, my aspirations of, you know, yeah, I, I like running heavy equipment. Um, I could just imagine myself uh, at this time uh, being a, an operator up on the gold fields, like up there in, in uh, Gold Rush. You know, that was kind of a, I watched that on Fridays, and, and I always ask, you know, I always think, man, I, I watch people dig up there, and, I, and they're doing it wrong. <laughs> I <I'd> to say, <laughs> I just don't know how to dig. That's a, I know they're maybe learning. They're works. learning how to run an excavator. Get me wrong, but um, they're they're overstretching their boom. They're doing, you know, they're the, the, the power of the, of the excavator is up close. I mean, this is, you know, it's, I did a job there in Sherwood, Oregon, um, when it was Copenhagen, and we we're doing a uh, U.S. ductile pipe going through there, and my boss did about 200 foot one morning, and, and, and he got done, and he said, well, okay, tomorrow, Keith, you're going to run the excavator, and you're going to put in this piping here, and said, well, the next day, I did almost 2,000 feet. Well, that's because I just twitched along, and I, I, that's, I just know how to dig, right? I've done that, you know, since 1972, I've been a backhoe operator, and I learned how to run a backhoe on hard pan, which is the cleachy, the the really hard digging, that's where you learn how to dig. If you have to go through rock or compressed rock and you have to use your rippers and stuff like that, you really learn how to operate the machinery to the fullest extent. If you're going to dig in dirt, dirt, I mean, your ditch isn't going to be uniform. It's going to be, you know, screwed up. So, yeah, there's lots of aspirations what I wanted to do, but um, uh, I was caught between a rock and a hard place, I had my kids up in Spokane, and I had a job that I wanted to do in Portland. And so I was, I was just right there, and I was hoping that spring would come quick enough so I could go back to work running heavy equipment.
0: Right. Well, that makes it, sense, yeah. It,
1: it, it yeah. actually does. It it, it kind of like, you know, because you, know, you were caught between wanting to go do something that you would have enjoyed doing, but your responsibility as a parent, too. You know,
2: yeah, so. I, I, I couldn't. You know, I my, and it, see. One of the things that I I really hated about my ex wife was that every time I moved close to be with my kids, uh, and I'd be there within a couple months, but all of a sudden she'd get the wild hair up or whatever, and she would move. Like when I moved to Spokane to be near my kids, what did she do? She moved to Vancouver. So, wow. now I had to go now 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 I'm back you know two hundred and some miles away. Now I have to do with this now, back and forth, so the moment I get back into a trucking job, you know, I get into a trucking job, and where I could stop in in Vancouver to see my kids, what she do, she moves to Spokane back, move back to Spokane, to where that's not my given route. Right.
3: So now I have like to fight, beef, fight around beef,
2: to, beef. To, to get around to get through. So every time I got anywhere close to my kids, she was doing everything she could to, to keep me from being with my kids all the time. It was that, just crazy.
1: Yeah, that like makes no sense. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> well, no, it, it's, <laughs> very it's very West, vindictive like, behavior. It, it, it is. I mean, in, I just don't understand it because I tried to do everything I could to keep my son's father in his life, and it was his father that chose to leave.
0: We well, see, and you and I have talked about this, Squatch, yeah. is that I did well, that I, with, with I my son's mom. I didn't leave
2: my wife. My wife left me. Right. But, you know, she has a car, and so she gets married, and now she's dropping a couple more kids in her life. She has a couple more babies. And then I get, I get a, a request to go to court. Why do I go to court? Well, because now she, I have just bought her station wagon, a car, nice car. It didn't even have the third seat, didn't have the third row seat, but she wanted my station wagon now. Why? Because her family is growing and she needs a car. And her husband is on Social Security, can't make any money, so apparently now I have to support him too. Well, so they, you know. they dragged me in the court to steal my car. And I, I finally just said to the court, I said, she can have the wagon. I'll just take the Topaz. But she didn't want to relinquish the Topaz either. But she had to relinquish the Topaz. And when I got the Topaz back, I the rack was shot. I fixed it all up. And eventually, I ended up giving the car away to my friend Jerry Day uh, right. back in 1993. I just handed him the car. Here's the year. And that's after Julie left the first time. When Julie was there in her house, at, at his house there in, in Washougal in the fall of 93, uh, she overstayed her welcome there, and he left. Well, I hand him the keys to the tow past here, because I was driving my truck, and I can't drive both at the same time, so I said, here, take it. You, I owed him for the rent for her to be there and the problem that she caused. And the only reason she caused the problem is because Jerry couldn't get her in bed. That's the only reason. That, yeah.
0: he, he was the swinger, right? The one, yeah, I mean, it's my first Okay, I thought he I remember. That was
2: one. And they wanted to, he wanted to get her in bed, and she didn't want to get in bed with him. And that's why that relationship ended where the room was no longer available. And so Julie had to get the hell out of there and go find another couch to sleep on. But in the meantime, the rent was owed, and I just handed him the key to the car, and I said, Here, and he's a mechanic. You'd think he'd take care of it. No. Yeah. You know, mechanics' cars are always the
1: worst cars to drive. <laughs> you know Maybe what?
0: My mechanic's
1: <laughs> wife says that, too.
0: Well, it's a fact. It's a fact. I'm telling you, man. Because <laughs> the mechanic that used to work on my Mercedes when I had that, like, you know, he kept my cars always running great, and his name was Jerry as well. Um, But his personal rig,
2: Jesus Christ, man. That thing, yeah.
0: that thing had more problems well, I, than I did more get a letter.
2: I did get a letter from Jerry uh, a few years back, and he told me that, the car I gave him, that Mercury Copaz, was a little four-cylinder and a you know, five-speed. It was a nice little car. He said that it, it finally—he wrote me to tell me that car finally kicked the bucket, right? Like, like you know, after all those years, he finally that, that that damn car you gave me finally broke down for the final time, and then he complained that it only got two hundred and fifty thousand miles on the odometer.
3: That is- what I the like, hell? Damn. And
2: I was like, what the hell is he, talking? What's he arguing for? He got the car for nothing.
1: Right? <laughs> but, yeah,
0: and he writes you an obituary about the car. car. <laughs> Dude, he was paying homage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Here lays the Mercury Topaz. It was a good yeah, car.
2: 1984 <laughs> Mercury Topaz. And he, he's got 250,000 miles on the damn And he was complaining to me. Then it broke uh-huh. down. I said, for Christ's sake, he should, he should have got rid of the damn thing 10 years ago.
1: <laughs> that,
2: that's you know, a fact. But that was the last letter I ever got from him. I mean, he was complaining. That's, that's the last letter. He never wrote me again. Holy this shit. is the guy that was a fresh friend of mine in high school, right? Wow. Now, matter of fact, my 50th high school reunion is coming up this year. I thought about writing another letter to the, uh, you know, Mike King, the person that putting it on, if he's still alive. And writing him and tell him, I, I, I still have prior engagements here in prison. I can't make it.
1: I, I still can't
0: make it. Still tied up a little bit. Still <laughs>
2: tied if up a little that, bit. We're, we're not going to be able to make it this time. Yeah.
0: If you write that letter, I so want a copy of it. Because seriously, that is some funny shit.
1: Yeah, no doubt, yo.
0: Nothing's going to beat the, no. uh, the, the the pillow talk letter, though. Nothing. Dude, That's the just... pillow talk <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Still dying about that. It's been, what, like a year? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my, my God. It just tickles me.
1: We are, we are well, horrible.
2: Know, I, now, I used to do a lot of running. I, I, I jogged around. You know, I, I I have run a few road races, you know, 5K, 10K. But I did a lot of running. I didn't you know all the trails in the Columbia River Gorge. I used to go up through all those trails, right? when I, I see on the news where someone gets lost on one of those trails. I'm like, well, just go downhill. <laughs> Downhill, you'll end up on eighty four. I mean, you'll you'll come to a point where you'll see the highway. Come on, you can't get lost. Come
0: on. We're gonna but, have to do a special yeah. segment now. Nature tips and hiking from <laughs> Keith Jesperson. <laughs> Just yeah, go well, downhill.
2: Okay, <laughs> off of Gleason. Off of Gleason Avenue is that golf course, right over there? Yeah. I think it's off about a hundred and fortieth or something like that. Well, they they have a path that goes all the way around that. And someone dropped off about about fifty or sixty goddamn rabbits, and they just multiplied, and everybody feeds the rabbits and so we got all these rabbits hopping around there I think but I used to run that uh, a certain way I'd run uh to i'd go to the left to go all the way around and come back now I was doing that and and one night I was I was doing the running and I, and I seen this girl running right at me, and she's got this ponytail and she's really nicely fit and everything and and she's bouncing along, and everything's moving in the right direction and everything like that. And I see her, and I just turn right around, and I jog right alongside of her, right? You know, for, for a short distance, Till so she says, you know, you're doing your own work, now get the fuck away from me.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, and I turn around, I run the other way. Well, every other night, I seem to see her there, and I, I'm doing running the same run, and when I see her, I just... Gonna wave at her and just keep on going because we, we've had that conversation, right? <laughs> well, one night, now that there's a parking lot there off the other street there where you pull in and the, the you come up to the sensor and the gate will open and you pull in and park or whatever. Well, one I think night that's and whatever. Oh, not at Halsey, isn't it? And she, pardon? that's think think Halsey. Halsey, yeah, probably. Yeah, it's Halsey. Sure Halsey, yeah. And so I, I I get there and she's there and and she just comes over and it's getting darker in the afternoon, right? And she doesn't feel comfortable running around there with strangers. So she asked me, she said, why don't we run together? And I said, well, Sean, sounds good to me, right? So we run together after that. Now, I still go home to my girlfriend, Roberta. But after the run, I, I, we go we stop and have a cup of coffee somewhere. we just go down to maybe Denny's and get a cup of coffee. And we just carried on this conversation. Now, I told this story to Matthew William Phelps. You know, and I was telling him, and he said, "Well, you're grooming her, getting ready to kill her." And I said, "You're a stupid, motherfucker."
0: Yeah, that's man. I was man. just
2: out there for a run with a pretty girl, right? Yeah, I had a girl I was going home to. I mean, I wasn't out there, chasing. I wasn't going hoping that she'd come home with me because my wa- my girlfriend was there.
0: <laughs> Plus, the entire my situation. Is my different.
2: girlfriend, Roberta, was a smoker. She wasn't going to be a runner.
0: <laughs> Plus, you the entire. I mean, it- the entire situation is different than than your other murders. Yeah, she with the exception a of Bennett,
1: She wasn't a yeah. She wasn't
0: in your truck, you know, and she wasn't in, uh, no. even in your house. She like, was, she like was
2: somebody I, was, I had I could run with. I mean, even even Jerry's wife, Jeanette, which was a smoker, she would rock, she would hike with me. Where Jerry would sit there on a park bench and look and drink his beer, and wouldn't go hiking with me. I remember I tried I got him to go up, uh, Joaquina Falls one time all the way up to the top crest trail and we got about a quarter way up and he said are we, up, are we there yet you know kind of thing and I said well we're just about there and I kept telling him that and of course halfway up there he said we just, you know, we're we just about there well finally I got him all the way up to the top crest trail and he's just huffing and puffing and carrying on and I said he said you lied to me and I said how was I going to get you to come up hiking with me
3: <laughs> true <laughs> you're not going to hike up with me
2: you're, you're down to smoke all the time you're, you're like a chimney I mean you're, I almost had to carry him up to the top of the damn thing. But Holy just think shit. about this, Jerry. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, my yeah. my, I mean, my son does that to me, too. He goes, Mom, let's just go across the street. I'm like, okay, let's walk. And then he'll go, I want to go down here. I'm like, I hate you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so I, I met with a girl. There, you know, probably, oh, we probably had six cups of coffee over the time. Not a whole lot of time, but... It was just fun, but she had a she had a husband to go home to, and the guy was just like you know, wasn't a runner. I mean, this is things that we do. We have fun with. I mean, I enjoyed at that time. I didn't think anything of running six miles in a night or going out there for a jog or something like that. I didn't think much of it.
0: I just passed out thinking about running six miles. Jesus, Christ. Scott,
1: I... you pass out thinking about going to the end of the drive. If you got to go past no, your well, truck, it's
2: on.
0: I was thinking, yeah, was thinking about that. But yeah,
2: now with. With, with the problem I have now is I got atrial fibrillation, which I can't even get on a treadmill for two minutes without being my heart rate jumping up to 170.
3: Ooh.
2: And yeah, it's it's it's, it's crazy. I, I have no no energy whatsoever. You know, I'm on a, a Aspirin regimen and all that kind of stuff. But your blood ain't carrying enough oxygen. That's just a problem when you get old. I'm 68 years old.
0: You know, they have a
2: five times more likely of a stroke and all that kind of crap. Right. But that's that's the problem with getting old. I wish I could go back out there and run and stuff like that. I just can't anymore. Uh, you know, up to up to 2019, I was on the treadmill doing my three or four miles a day on, my, on the treadmill in here. Well,
3: yeah. then I got
2: this I to this point where I was really tired, and I was wondering, what the hell's going on here? And my heart's kind of fluttering and that. And I went up there, and I said, hey, I have a problem here. I don't know what's really wrong with this thing. And they put me on an EKG, and all of a sudden, this stretcher comes over, and I said, what's that for? That's for you. You're going downtown, right? So they put me in an ambulance, and they run me down to Salem, and they uh, check me out. They give me some nitro and all this other stuff there so for my heart. And uh, so they test me, and then eventually they give me a stress test, which I fall out and die, and I come back. And then they delivery take me on downtown to stop my heart, to restart my heart, so that they hopefully reboot it. And that's where I'm at right now. And I refuse to take the warfarin, which is rat poison, from thin. I just know I'm not doing that. So I just self-medicate myself and got myself written out on a DNR, which is do not resuscitate if I fall out. I don't want to come back. I'm doing a life set anyway. So I, if I, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I don't want people to bring me back and have me uh, be a vegetable up there in an in the infirmary.
0: Well, wait no. a minute. If they if they brought you back from death, would that take care of at least one of your life sentences? <laughs> no, that's
2: what I was ask No, because you. I'm not on death row. I'm <laughs> not on death row. If I was on death row, maybe. Maybe.
0: <laughs>
2: maybe. maybe not.
0: Yeah. That's so, a fucked up question, but I knew I knew that you'd laugh at that one, Keith. I knew that you would laugh. Yeah. Most, it's, it's, most of our people would not, but I knew that you would.
2: <laughs> well, you know the problem is I got 108 years. I'll be 108 years old when I leave Oregon. I've got to get past that. Then I have to go to Washington State for 34 and a half years more. Then if I outlive that, then I go to a Wyoming for 25 to life. And if I get through that, I get to go to California for 20, I'm doing a life without consecutive after that. And currently I'm doing a 25 to life out of Riverside County, California, running with Oregon. So, yeah, I am not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> not, not r- You're not going nowhere?
2: R- well, you know, my, my only hope is I I put in for a Canadian transfer. Uh, right. You know, because I'm Canadian, and the chances of that happening are nil, almost nil to none kind of thing. But it's a, it, it, it puts hope out there that maybe it might happen. If I, if I were to get transferred to Canada, they're, they're not going to let me go. They're going to put me in there. I'm going to go go to a prison up there. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison up there. Now, if that, if that was the case. You know, uh, but I'll die in my home country.
0: Right. Right. No, yeah. that's true.
2: That's all I'm doing. I'm just hoping to get up there to where I die in my home country. I'm not here in Oregon. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they'll change the law one of these days to where if you're if you're a prisoner in Oregon, I'll be able to sue the guards if they, if they insult me and maybe make $1,000. <laughs> like Wonder. they do with the tent people, right? The guys on tents.
0: Oh you know, my the god!
2: They get—they're telling them, "Hey man, you can't tell me to leave."
0: Yeah, don't I, I'm going to sue me you for a thousand bucks,
2: so I can have this money, so I can stay here in front of your place, your apartment, or your 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 yeah. business. Let
1: Let's not get Scott started on the homeless people because and the getting, population. It's, it's getting, it's getting ridiculous. ridiculous. Well, the yeah.
2: homeless—I mean, let's just face it. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that can't afford a home.
1: Oh, that's true. And,
2: and they're working, and they they live in a tent, and you can't begrudge the fact that they're, that's who they are, and that's who they are. But you have a lot of people that are just drug addicts. That's what they're. That's where they're living, and and they know how to work the system. But we can't put them all together. We can't put them all together as as one common problem. Um, you know, we we've, we've got uh, a lot of different people out there that are living in tents because they can't afford to live in an apartment, a $2,000 an apartment.
3: No, that's true.
2: The job's not paying for it. I mean, it's not their, or they live in their car or their RV or something. It's hard. It's getting, with the cost of living right now and everything, I'm imagining, you know, I've been sheltered from all this for the last 28 years, incarcerated. I got it good. I got, got, this is Club Med compared to you guys
0: out there. Oh, I'm telling you, man, even though even the food costs have gone up like when even from like when my son got out of high school and started and started living with me moved back here to to Washington, we would go grocery shopping and it ran us um and, and we ate really super well uh, right around a hundred a week hundred and ten a week you know and now um I got uh, squashed does on my grocery shopping for me by and large and it's nothing for me to send her two hundred dollars a week, and that—that's not even living large, dude. That's yeah, just and that's getting
2: barely making it. Basic, basic shit. Well, basic yeah. Shit. Well, well, So, so this morning for breakfast, what did I have for breakfast? I had toast, jelly, some little butter on the on the toast, you know. And had some scrambled eggs, you know, that kind of thing. Had farina. I mean, I have more to eat than a lot of people do. And, and that's just for breakfast. At lunchtime, I'll go down. There'll be, like, taco salad or something like
0: that. The menus we
2: have in here, we eat very well in prison. Yes. This is this is your tax dollars at work. Well,
0: what right? what kind of gets me with the homeless population, though, is, like, where, where I go to get my cigarettes, because, you know, you know, everybody knows I smoke. Um, I know the owner of the store that I go to, and it's a little convenience store. He's a really nice Korean dude. His name is Song. And uh, I, I talked to his employees all the time because they know I've been going there for years. So all of them know who I am and the crime that has gone up. I mean, he, all of his windows have been busted out multiple times to the point that he just said, screw it. I'm not putting windows in anymore. We're just going to, we're going to concrete it over. Um, yeah. People trying to break in. the, And every time the cops come and they run them out, they come back. But here was the kicker of it. So underneath I-5 right there at uh, like Marine Drive, they took the overpass there and they put giant boulders in to get rid of the homeless and they all left it was great. And now they have moved back and they're camping on the sides of the boulders. Yeah. They're like, "Fuck yeah, it, it. we're just going to make this work." Yeah. It's kind of like having roaches, gonna, man.
2: Well, yeah, but they got to have a place to go. You know, there's there's a, there's a, you know, once you go, once you go to Tough Shed, the guys that make Tough Shed. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and, and bring and, and buy Tough Sheds and put them out there in, in, in a field. Give them a place to, to put, you know, to go in, and not just a tent, but just go into a building that actually is uh, a, a shed where you can get in. The problem is, a lot of people will destroy the building. They'll go in and they'll yeah. tear the shed on because they don't respect it. They don't. Uh, they didn't have to pay for it, so they'll destroy it. It's no different than a kid not paying for his Game Boy. They're gonna, they're gonna destroy it. They're gonna, they're not gonna respect it. They're not gonna honor it. That they're be given a room to live in. Screw this thing. We're just gonna—they're gonna fight the establishment. That's what they're gonna
0: go do. What they're gonna do. And that's actually very accurate. My second ex-wife, uh, she's an architect, and when she first got out of college, she uh, she would do like revamps for uh, uh, low-income housing, women's shelters, and things like that. And later on, she started doing schools and military installations. But uh, so many times, the the state would have to come back to her because somebody would get pissed off. And they would rip out the cabinet. Now, keep in mind, they're living in these places for free. They'd rip out all the cabinets and the toilet and everything like that and go, well, now you have to replace it. So she'd have to go back in and redesign it so that way there yeah. they could, it could limit so, the damage.
2: So here's a story. Now, in 1975, I worked for Alpine Lumber in Yakima, and I was driving a 780 Case back head on a low boy. And the, the Indian agency in down by white swan
3: Okay,
2: okay so i'm getting called out now our company does prefab housing and they put all these houses in for the native population so the indian nation would have us come in and put these new damn houses in next to the old shacks these people are living in and i get called in and the boss says well you need to go out there to space so and so and see how come the plumbing isn't working I'm going like, well, okay. I take tobacco and put it on the low boy, and I run on down to White Swan towards the stairs, and I park in there, and there's a a, a nice triplex house built by Alpine Lumber for the Indian Agency. Now, in front of the house is all these old cars that the guys had dragged from the the old shack to in front of their new shack, the new house. I walk to the front, and I knock on the door. They open the door. I walk in. It smells really bad.
1: One minute remaining.
2: And
0: I'll call you right back. All right, All right, buddy. Man, these calls get better and better and better with him. I'm dang.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm yeah.
0: digging this. I want to give a big shout out both to, to Krista Evans uh, and, of course, Brian Ingle, who's been texting me during this. I sent him a personal message. I said, hey, man, do you have any questions for him?
1: Oh, yeah, totally, yeah.
0: <laughs> Good times, man. Thank you to you, too, uh, for You know, chiming in and what have not. Remember to log on to the Etsy page. Look up TB Enterprises shop or store. TB Enterprises store. See, I caught myself.
1: Good job. (laughs) All one word.
0: All one word. Check out the merch. Let's see. Uh, uh, Show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. If you're in this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying. Even bastards. bastards. And we will see you guys for part four of the Jesperson Calls. Bye
1: bye. Bye, everybody.